days in a hotel room in Denver while my roommate kept coming back and saying, oh, we went to a great session today. Oh, it was a great dinner. <laughs> so, <laughs> but anyway, if I sound a little hoarse, I am way past being contagious now. It's been 12 days, but um, that cough just lingers, doesn't it? It really does. It's amazing. So, um, but I'm glad that you could all be here this morning. And there are a lot more of you than I thought there might be being the weekend after Thanksgiving. But we are going to start today, our first Sunday of Advent, and we are going to begin our Advent series. So I would like to begin by praying the collect for the first Sunday in Advent. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which your son Jesus Christ came to vis visit us in great humility, that in the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal. Through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And um, I feel like there is a lot of themes in that collect which also apply to our lectionary for today. So as you know, it was announced last week, we are going to be using this N.T. Wright devotional Advent for Everyone, the book of Matthew. And um, you can buy this on um, Amazon for like 10 bucks, um, and, or you can get the Kindle. And I really recommend it. It actually is a really wonderful Bible study. And it isn't just a Bible study. He really has it um, centers around more as a devotional and some really good probing questions each day as we walk through Advent. Yes. Well, it's Advent for everyone, Matthew, OK? So yeah. So you know, as with any series, often they use the same cover for every book in the series and that they do that for this series. And so there is an advent for everyone, Luke, John, etc. And then there's also advent with the apostles, which I don't I haven't quite figured out what that one is, if that's a compendium of all four or something. But anyway, yeah, so this is the right one. So um, every day in the um, week, there is a very short reading from Matthew um, that really directs kind of some of the thoughts for the day, but also have very much to do with the lectionary of the previous week. And I know some of you are maybe using the daily office readings, and you definitely have my permission to read Matthew instead of Luke this week. <laughs> but uh, again, they're, they're very short. And I think it is, um, I think it's a really wonderful way to prepare ourselves and to really have a, a meaningful advent. I really actually like this book a lot. So one of the things that, that Wright does is, well, first of all, he uses the, um, the um, ecumenical lectionary, daily lectionary that is um, Sunday lectionary, the ecumenical Sunday lectionary that is used by many churches, um, lots of Protestant mainline denominations, the Catholic Church uses it. Um, it was really the idea of it came out of the um, ecumenical um, movement at the end of World War II and through Vatican II where 
representatives from different churches came together and came up with this revised lectionary, common lectionary, and then later it was revised in the 80s, the revised common lectionary. And in our prayer book, we largely follow it, but there are some minor differences, and the differences are actually good ones, because often the lectionary, the revised common lectionary, will, they wanted to make the passages short, so often they come right in the middle of a passage. And you actually, it's almost out of context because you don't know what came before. Um, and so that's kind of an, and that is the case for today. But we're going to start, or they have, or excuse me, they also leave out some passages that maybe are a little troublesome to people. Um, they just skip those passages, the ones that speak of doom and gloom, or that people for ages have been uncomfortable, but you know, far be it from any of us to be uncomfortable when we read scripture. So, um, so anyway, that is true for today. But we are gonna start in the middle because I actually think it works for what I wanna do this morning. So um, if you want to get out your Bibles and look at Matthew 24, you can, but you also can just close your eyes and listen. This translation is Wright's own translation. He does his own translation being this great New Testament scholar. So it begins this way. Nobody knows what day or time this will happen, Jesus went on. The angels in heaven don't know it, nor does the Son, only the Father knows. You see, the royal appearing of the Son of Man will be like the days of Noah. What does that mean? Well, in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking. They were getting married and giving children in marriage, right up to the day when Noah went to the ark. They didn't know about it until the flood came and swept them all away. That's what it'll be like at the royal appearing of the Son of Man. On that day, there will be two people working in the field. One will be taken and the other will be left. There will be two women grinding corn in the mill. One will be taken, the other will be left. So keep alert. You don't know what day your master will come. But bear this in mind, if the householder had known what time of night the burglar was going to come, he would have stayed awake and wouldn't have let his house get broken into. So you too must be ready. The son of man is coming at a time you don't expect. So um, this is a pretty well-known passage, and I'd like to take some time today to really just break it down together. And what I'd like to start out doing is a little exercise. Um, I would like each of you to think of a time when something happened to you that was totally unexpected. Like just, if you, you I think all of us have a, can almost immediately think of a time in our life when something happened that we had no idea this was gonna happen, and we had no idea, or if we did have an idea it was happening, we didn't know it was gonna happen on that day. Um, so I'll let you think for a minute. This can be a happy thing or it can be a sad thing, and it's okay for us to share things that are difficult in here because that's, um, it's a safe place to do that if you choose to. Um, so 
if you could just turn to the person sitting next to you and like here there's three of you. Um, if you want to turn around, maybe um, share with um, the person behind you. If you're a spouse, that might be helpful to do that. But just choose one other person to share this with, just to get us kind of started here this morning. Okay, uh, has everyone had a chance to share or have you only shared one way? Need a little bit more time? Okay, let's do about three or four more minutes. Another thing you might consider sharing is how you dealt with that unexpected thing. <clears throat> do you? Okay. Yeah, just get me a chair just in case I can talk to you. 
is, that's the... <laughs> Okay, let's come back together again. And um, I am, what I, I really wanted, one of the reasons why I did this exercise, it's probably obvious, but one of the things I think this passage really speaks to is how do we deal with things that happen unexpectedly? And um, what are some of the ways you think this passage might address how we deal things? when they come unexpectedly. Yes. Right, that's very true. It's very true. And I think death is something that's really interesting because I think, for instance, we all know that eventually our parents are going to die, especially when you get to be older. I mean, they approach 90s and 100s. But I lost my parents. Um, my father was actually in his 60s, his mid-60s. And, um, like, I found out about his death when I was way up. We have an island that we go to every summer. And at that time, this was, like, in the um, mid-90s, and there weren't cell phones yet. So um, there was no, there's no electricity on this island. It's very remote, it's very, and the last day we were there, the owner of the marina, came, that is the marina that we use for our boat, came to the island and walked in and I was cleaning up the kitchen, getting ready to close up the cabin. And he said, I really have hard news to share for you, but your father just died in a car accident. And I was just not prepared for that at all. It also was really jarring because somehow one of my uncles figured out, remembered where we had this island and called the police there and they connected to, they knew this island, they knew this marine, and it was just such a, a weird thing. But I had a lot of unfinished business with my father when he died. So I think that death especially is one of these things where even though we know it's going to happen and we don't know when, it's always good to be prepared for it to happen because it could happen any day. And I think that is one of the things that um, Jesus is trying to tell the disciples about that, you know, in this particular instance. Anything else? Yes, you know what, we do need that traveling, traveling mic. Um, I just realized that. So Peter just mentioned that often when we find out things unexpectedly, we get angry very quickly. 
because we weren't expecting them. Brad also shared that when someone dies, um, it takes a long time to process that. Whereas if something happy happens unexpectedly, that's a little, that is a, a little bit different way of processing things. But thank you, Peter. Anyone else? Okay, why do you think, um, it says in Matthew, you see the royal appearing of the Son of Man will be like the days of Noah? Um, this is a well-known story, of course, to his Jewish followers that day. Um, why do you think he compares it to the time of Noah? What is it about the time of Noah that will be like this time in the future? Yes. Um, I think actually most Jews really believed this was going to happen. This was prophesied in Daniel. And I think this is one of the Daniel. Um, it's referring to Daniel when the Son of Man comes down in the heavens. And that was one of the um, apocalyptic um, ideas very inherent in Jewish thought because that was one of the heralds of the Messiah. Remember, they were all expecting the Messiah. So they knew the Messiah was going to come, but perhaps they didn't understand all the signs that might be surrounding it. So how is the time of Noah? Judgment is coming, yes, right. Um, so in the time of Noah, there was only a select few people that made it onto the ark and the others didn't. Um, but it's also interesting to note that um, for the Christian idea of judgment, um, Peter uses Noah as a metaphor for baptism, of being saved through water, which is, is kind of interesting if we want to look at it from more of a um, looking looking back as a Christian at the scriptures and how we understood that. Um, Isaiah also speaks of the days of Noah to reaffirm the covenant that God has with Jerusalem. So this is covenant language also to the hearers. It would be like the days of Noah when the community of the saved will be saved. So in that way, it's also like the day of Noah. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah, exactly. Jim has noted that um, those who were saved were the ones that were only found to be truly righteous in God's eyes. And as a Christian, Christians, we understand being truly righteous doesn't mean we live lives of perfection, but that we are found saved in Jesus Christ, that God sees his righteousness and he sees us in that light of Christ's righteousness. So 
there, are, there is no one who is truly righteous. But that is a, that's a really, really good point. Yes. Oh, yes. 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 Right. Smelly time. I like that. Yeah. Right. Right, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I love that, Sarah. So if you didn't hear her, Sarah was talking about how once Noah and the animals and his family all got in the ark, it didn't start raining right away. They still had a period of time where they had to wait. And I do think that's really interesting because they were being laughed at, like completely ridiculed. And I do think that some of our waiting is like that. In fact, um, a Time to Wait is what the title of this uh, Advent Catechesis was for today, but it's actually A Time to Watch and Wait. And those are kind of two different things, watching and waiting. They really are. Um, and yet, they're also the same in some ways. So let's go on to the next part. Um, this is interesting. Um, it says, well, in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were getting married and being given in marriage right up to the day when Noah went into the ark. Um, and then he says, on that day, there will be two people working in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. There will be two women grinding corn in the mill. One will be taken, the other will be left. So what does that say about the time when this catastrophic thing is going to actually happen. Think about those instances that he's given. What do they say to us? And eating and drinking, by the way, doesn't refer to gluttony and carousing. Yes, Mark. Yes, exactly. Oh, long time ago. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're so yeah, Mark makes a great Point. And boy, that movie came out, I think, in like 1974 or something. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah. 
So Mark made the point that this is going to happen like in a very ordinary moment and that often the things that are very cataclysmic in our life, like for instance when I was just sweeping out the kitchen to leave our cabin, um, these really catastrophic things happen. Um, and so I think that is part of what the warning is here. So let's talk about the thief in the night. So keep alert. You don't know what day your master will come, but bear this in mind. If the householder had known what time of night the burglar or the thief was going to come, he would have stayed awake and wouldn't have let his house get broken into. So I think that's also very interesting because what does a thief bring to mind for you? Certainly not Jesus, for instance, right? So he's obviously using a metaphor here. Terror, Terror yes. Yes. Um, so in other words, he was saying this coming of the Son of Man was going to be a threat to a lot of people. And even the prediction of him's coming is a threat to a lot of people. Yes? Yes. love that image. I think I will always have that now of that razor. Still, I'll, even though I don't believe in the rapture, I think that's like a lot of conjecture based on one verse in the Bible, but go ahead. always happen. Mark said there is also an, often an arbitrariness um, when things happen unexpectedly and they aren't the way we want them to go. They just they aren't going the way we thought they were going to go. Um, I think we can say that about a lot of moments in our lives in our lives that things happen that we just still grieve the rest of our lives that they happened in the way that they did. Yes.
Right. Yeah. I think that's an excellent question, Dick. How do we react to warnings? And I think that, um, like, Rich went to a conference and he heard and lots, Billy Graham's son's daughters speak. And she evidently thinks these are the last days. And she points to all the normal things, you know, like uh, climate change, um, just the way society is going so much against uh, biblical truth now, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And when I heard that, I was just really kind of reacted negatively because I'm like you, I hear people talk, talking about, oh, the world's going to end. Um, yeah, we don't know. You know, we don't know if it's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know if it's going to happen another 2,000 years from now. So, but what do you think about that? Looking, what kind of warnings do you think we would be receiving today that now, that to be anticipating that final day of the Lord? I'm going to let you hold that question for a second because we're now going to go back to the beginning. And this is, as I mentioned to you, the lectionary is, um, our full lectionary this morning starts at verse 29. It doesn't start at verse, um, I think it's 35 or so, 36, yeah. So I'm going to read the whole thing today. And I kind of did it this way on purpose because I think it's great to think about what are we waiting for and what is it going to be like and then kind of get this where Jesus is actually very specific here about what people are going to be waiting for. So again, this comes in the middle of a longer discourse. Straight away, Jesus continued, after the suffering that those days will bring, the sun will turn to darkness and the moon won't give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will shake. And then the sun, sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send off his messengers with a great trumpet blast, and they will collect his chosen ones from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Learn the hidden meaning of the fig tree. When its branch begins to sprout and to push out its leaves, then you know the summer is nearly there. So with you, when you see all these things, you will know that it is near at the very gates. I'm telling you the truth. This generation won't be gone before all these things happen. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never, ever disappear. So we're going to hold the question about warnings. Um, so what is Jesus referring to here? What event do you think he is referring to? Yes. The discretion of the temple. Yes. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, in 70 AD. Which, if you think about it, is not something the Jews were expecting is that their temple would be destroyed. Um, 
that for observant Jews of that time, that was their way of uh, receiving forgiveness. Going to the temple was the way they met God. It was heaven on earth. It was where, where God resided. Um, the destruction of the temple would be like God disappearing from the earth in the Jewish mind. So this was truly a catastrophic event, which Jesus hinted at when he said, um, raise me up in three days, I will tear this temple down and raise me up in three days, I will build it again. And of course he was referring to his body, which it basically Jesus was saying, I am now the temple, this is where God resides, and you can kill me and crucify me, but I will come back in three days. But for the Jews that heard that, they're like, what is he talking about? You know, you can't, this temple took hundreds of years to build, which it did, the second temple. Um, so, yeah, I think he's referring to anything else. Do you think this is like just one event that Jesus is talking about? I guess it's a better way of asking it. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Mark, <laughs> A. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of when, you know, Jesus is always the answer to things. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty much a rhetorical question, wasn't it? Um, yeah, I, I, there's one illustration that Wright gives that I really liked in his, um, uh, and by the way, he does cover this passage on Wednesday of the week. So even though it's not, he doesn't cover it in the Sunday, he does bring it up on the Wednesday reading. So um, I'm, I'm using that chapter for some of these questions. Um, so he talked about he has a friend who is a composer, and the and he came upon him one day, and he was um, composing a symphony. And he had all these different bars and lines to write. And he had already written the violin part, but now he was working on all the other parts. And he said he came back a couple hours later, and he had written in the clarinet part. He'd written in the oboe part, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought the analogy he gave was really interesting, because he said that so you could like this man had just written 10 minutes of music, for instance, okay? And then when you hear it, you hear it all at once. It's all one piece. But what if, this is kind of like using your imagination, I think, in the way that we need to biblically use our imaginations. And that is, what if you heard first just the clarinet part, and then you heard just the flute part, and then you heard just the violin part? Well, if you sat down and listened to each piece separately, what became like 15 minutes of music all of a sudden is one hour's worth of music. And he uses that analogy to talk about how um, often we read these passages like this and we think it has to refer to one thing, but rather it's referring to a sequence of things that happen um, all, you know, many, many, many centuries of time. When I took a class in Isaiah um, of Eternity when I was in grad school, um, my Old Testament prof, Dr. Gameron, Van Gameron, um, he talked about the way you interpret Isaiah is you look at, there's different levels. There is the near future, and there is the far future, and then there is the future that is perhaps thousands of years in the future. 
and that we have to read biblical, um, biblical prophecy in that way. And so, yes, I do believe here that Jesus is definitely referring to the destruction of the temple in AD 70, and some people will say that is the only interpretation. It all happened, you know, 2,000 years ago. I've heard that actually been said. And then others will say, no, it just it refers to the second coming of Jesus. And others will say it's a combination of the two. And one of the things when we read scripture, I think we always need to use the whatever the passage is, what it meant for its hearers. And when Daniel wrote this, I think Daniel didn't know what he was referring to, but perhaps he was referring to the destruction of the temple. I mean, the biblical writers didn't always know why they were writing what they were writing. But we still have to kind of use as a control what the passage meant for that original audience. But what's really beautiful about that is that gives us then the, um, the, the possibility of being able to use our imagination to understand scripture on many different other levels, perhaps far beyond what the original writer thought, as long as we keep that control in place. So what would be the control here in terms of if Jesus is referring to AD 70? So what does that event mean? That would be the control for how we would understand how this could possibly mean to future generations, what it could mean for us personally in our own lives, because we believe that the Holy Spirit can give us an interpretation that is just for us. You know, a lot of people don't like the way people will apply scripture so very, very personally. Well, that's not what the original writers meant at all. But as long as we keep that control in place, we're able to use our imaginations in that way because that's the way God uses scripture to speak to us. So. What would be that control for this if we wanted to expand our understanding beyond AD 70? What happened in AD 70? What is it about AD 70? Yes. Yes, I think that's excellent, Dick. Did everyone hear that? I mean, Dick was talking about it's really about our, our spiritual state and how we are ready to face these very difficult times in our lives and to take that kind of assessment each day. I think that's pretty much what you're saying, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyone else about that? Yes, Bruce. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Right, exactly. Yes. is um, before the judgment comes the angels are gathering people together and that is what um, is perhaps what has been, happened in world missions that and just think of it in terms of the early church where this was just such you know in, in some ways this was this, some people could look at it as a minor Jewish prophet that died and was crucified and that was that and oh yeah some of his disciples think he rose from the dead but of course they just stole his body and yet, in the first century, second century, third century, in just 300 years, millions and millions of people believed in Christ as their Lord. So that in itself is a miracle of the Holy Spirit. So I think we are, and I did prepare a handout, which I have to go find it, because Ruby's put it for me yesterday. Thank you. 